All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Cause for Joy podcast. We've got a special guest with us. It is not Miss Emma. It is not Miss Mary Kate. We miss them, but they are outside of the room right now because we put a sign on the door that said no girls allowed. That's right. So I'm here with a particular pain who has been mentioned on the podcast, but now you can actually, well, I was going to say you can see him face-to-face, but you can't see him. You're listening. So you're going to listen to the voice. I will be looking down the face of Mr. Jason Payne. Jason, it's good to have you with us. Hey, good to be on. Awesome. So for those of you who haven't made the connection, so two episodes ago, we introduced Mary-Kate Payne, who's going to be another one of our co-hosts on the show, and she is married to the Jason Payne, who's going to be on the episode with us today. So Jason, when Mary-Kate was on the episode last, we Talked a little bit about the last name Payne. She's just getting used to having that last name and getting used to some of the puns that come her way now. And we were kind of wondering, with your upbringing, it's been, what, 20, you're 27, 28? 27, yeah. 27. So in the 27 years, have there been any noteworthy standout puns that have been made about your last name? So, yeah, so like what uh, she mentioned, um, the one that she kind of saw with the propane tank and being propane, that was... That was pretty creative. Um, aside from that one, the most creative one I've heard was that uh, I should join the circus. That way the pain could be intense. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they were... Yeah, no, that was a good one. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. I would imagine, yeah, you've, you've heard so many of the same ones over and over again, so I'm sure when you get one that's a little out of the ordinary, it, it sticks with right. you. Yeah. So. That's cool. So Jason and I go back uh, a number of years, actually. We entered the same college seminary, so we crossed paths back in uh, college seminary out in Minnesota. And then at the end of our time there, uh, the Lord had different plans for the two of us. So Jason, you felt uh, called to discern out of the seminary. I felt called to continue on with my discernment and formation. So I went on to graduate studies in theology and was later ordained a priest. Um, and then you ended up finding your lovely bride, and you're reaping the fruits now of this beautiful vocation of marriage. And I thought while we had you on, before we really get into the heart of our material today, I wanted to kind of pick your brain on this question because, you know, we, we have some people listening who may be familiar with, like, maybe they know a seminarian in their life, or maybe they've always had their prayer cards where they pray for seminarians, you know, and then you can have one day, you know, you see somebody's picture and then the next year there's somebody who's not on there anymore. And so they ask the question, well, what happened? And when you mentioned that they discerned out, uh, the the people, they don't always have a, a framework to work with that. So in their minds, they can think, oh, so this guy, he quit or he dropped out or he didn't have what it took, you know, or, or I've heard somebody say like, well, you know, the, the beauty of woman will do that to you. And it's just, you know, people who are good intention, they, they say these things. So I, I figured, like, while you were here, could you maybe offer a little glimpse into what it's like to discern out what that does and doesn't look like? Yeah, yep. And part of that is kind of uh, you need a little bit of a window into seminary life itself, kind of seminary formation, especially at the uh, undergraduate level. Um, it's an environment in where you're continually just building a habit of listening and doing God's will every day, an environment kind of surrounded by the sacraments and surrounded by others doing the same, others trying to grow in holiness and do God's daily will for your life. And 
as you're kind of discerning that, there's also the question of like, all right, am I meant to keep going on this path? And there are those, you know, like myself and like others who are called to be in the seminary to grow in certain virtues enough. And then God at a certain point calls them out. Um, That's what happened to me. I just kept kind of discerning and at a certain point realized, nope, that's uh, priesthood is not my calling anymore. So talked to my formator, talked to my bishop in the process of, you know, going in a different direction and discerning out. Um, Yeah. I think that's helpful because I think some people think that when you enter seminary, it's because you know you're supposed to be a priest. You know that God is calling you to be a priest. But a vast majority of guys, they don't know with 100% clarity. They just know God has given enough clarity to enter seminary so that they can further discern. So what you're clarifying there is that God gave you enough clarity to say, I want you to go to seminary. But in your time of seminary, the call became clear that it wasn't to continue on for priesthood, but that his call was leading you now somewhere after seminary. Is that right? Yeah, yep. And I'd say that that looks differently um, going through it, because uh, I wouldn't have entered seminary if I didn't think that I was called to the priesthood at that time. Sure. But as I continued to grow closer to God, to grow closer to his will and understand his will more for my life, I realized that, no, that wasn't quite the direction he was leading me in. While he put that desire on my heart to get me into seminary so I could grow in those virtues that I needed to, he then, um, yeah, took me out. <laughs> right. And, uh, it- It reminds me, too, because I don't know if you remember this, but they kind of sit you down when you first start out seminary and they give you the speech about how I think they told us only 30 percent of guys who enter college seminary will end up getting ordained. And at the time I thought, wow, like that is that's a really small percentage. And then my next thought was there's no way I could be part of that 30 (laughs) percent as I look around at these other guys. I was like, there's no way that's possible. And then sure enough, by the end of the first year and then. You know, in, in my case, when I was right on the verge of ordination, it's like, holy cow, I, I made it. And the the thing that was always striking to me was that the men who discerned out, I mean, these were great men. These yeah. were virtuous yeah. men, men who seemed holier and smarter than me, men who seemed like they would have made better priests than me. So then you, you go through the years and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, but I'm still in it. It really makes you kind of <laughs> second guess your discernment. But then you, you really realize this is fundamentally a response to a call from God. Is God calling me? Yes. Okay, then I'll move on. Or in your case, is God calling me? No. Yeah. Okay, I will pursue what it is that he does call me to. Right, so, right. Yeah, so thanks for sharing a little bit about that because, again, I don't think these are the kind of conversations very many people get to listen in on. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So we're going to be starting this two-part series, listeners. Uh, we've got this episode and then the next episode are going to build off of each other. And again, this episode is just going to be us dudes. So it's me and Jason are going to be chatting. And then next week, it's going to be Emma and Mary-Kate. And they're going to provide their perspective for that part of the series. And basically, what we want to do in these next two episodes is unpack the topic of, from a Catholic perspective, what does it mean to be a man? And then what does it mean to be a woman? So exploring these different topics related to Uh, masculinity, femininity, and what it is that uh, we can see in God's designs for how it is that he made us male and female. So we're breaking those two topics up into those two parts. Uh, Again, not because, you know, we're, we're putting men and women against each other and it's like a battle for the sexes and like, let's see who does a better job for these episodes. It's really the intent behind it is really to help show the complementarity of male and female. So hopefully 
between our episode and then the episode you'll hear next week when the women really share their hearts about how it is that they've come to discover how it is that God has made them as female and they can really share about the gift of their femininity. Hopefully you can see the way in which uh, men and women were designed to complement each other. So we were praying about different topics and we thought this would be a noteworthy topic to explore because when we're talking about joy, and this is the Cause for Joy podcast, we're, we're all about trying to tie different things into uh, real, authentic Christian joy. A, a major component to our joy is our identity. If we know who we are, uh, we're able to give ourselves away. We're able to experience the, the true and abiding joy of the Lord. And a major part of who we are, what our identity is, uh, it involves the fact that we are made male or that we're made female. So we wanted to talk specifically about how it is that we experience in our identity, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, because that's uh, really intricately tied to this theme of joy. And not to mention, I mean, in in our culture these days, this seems like such a, on the one hand, a controversial topic, and yet all the more necessary of, of an important topic to be talking about uh, these different definitions or these different anthropologies, right? The study of uh, man and what it means to be man, what it means to be woman. Because in our culture in the last you know few years, these conversations have really blown up. seems like we've become more and more divided as time goes on when it comes to these different issues. So again, I think it would be helpful if we could shed some light on what it is that the church teaches about God's design, kind of his blueprint for what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. So before we really launch in, get to the meat of that, Jason, was there anything there that I was talking about that was striking you or, or resonating with you? Uh, the biggest thing is just kind of the understanding of identity and masculinity and femininity as part of our identity and really the complementarity between the two uh, and understanding kind of the theology behind the complementarity and the scriptural basis behind the complementarity because it's I feel like as we've gotten a more secular culture, less scripturally based culture, we misunderstand that identity and that complementarity. And as we gradually misunderstand that complementarity, now we've misunderstood our identity as masculine and feminine. And now we have more and more just kind of anger and battle between the sexes and that type of thing behind that confusion. So, Yeah, I appreciate that you're drawing out the fact that Again, we're coming at this from a theological perspective because when you look at man, when you look at woman, there's a number of different, I guess, lenses through which you could look at them. And there's a lot that is helpful that come from the sciences that help describe some of these differences. So whether you're in psychology or sociology or biology, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways in which we can see some of the differences between men and women. But I think what we hope to show is that the unique contribution that theology can bring in shedding light on this topic is, okay, these are, you know, maybe biological or, or physiological, psychological differences, but theology really, it can really enlighten the question of why. Like, why is it this way in the first place? And, and really getting to this idea that this was designed intentionally, and, and why would God design us in this way? And so that's, that's why we're going to be looking specifically through the lens of uh, theology when we're looking at these differences between men and women. Other sciences, other fields can shed some important light, but we're going to be looking specifically through the lens of uh, theology. So I think with that, uh, we can dive in. And the other thing that I thought we could maybe touch on is this idea that when it comes to those differences, so there's differences in what it means to be a man, there's differences in what it means to be a woman. And I think we want to avoid two different extremes when we're talking about those differences. So the first extreme that I see 
in our culture is this idea of too loose of a view of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. I, I think we've gotten to the point, unfortunately, now in a lot of sectors of our culture where the words man and woman are essentially meaningless. Like they, they don't really describe anything. If you can kind of make up your own definition for it, well, then the words themselves start to lose their meaning. And I, I don't know the exact number, but I've heard somewhere like on Facebook, there's something like you can choose through 58 different genders or something like that. And so again, that, that's, that comes out of too loose of a view of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, just this idea of like, well, it means whatever you want. Well, that's the case, then there is no real meaning at all, right? But then we also want to avoid too narrow of a view. Now, where do we see that? Well, I think you can get too narrow of a view of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, when you rely on certain stereotypes or uh, cookie-cutter images of this is exactly what it looks like. So you see this, I think, a lot of times in the culture with different advertisements or, or film or TV shows where the, the man can tend to be portrayed as, you know, he's really into sports, you know, he drinks beer, he's a womanizer. So then you can grow up with that. And maybe as an adult, you look at it differently when you were a, a kid or a teenager. But when you're a kid or a teenager, and that's what you're constantly exposed to, and then you start to think to yourself, well, I'm not very much into sports, and I seem... Like I'm a little bit more like emotionally intelligent and sensitive than my peers. Does that mean I'm, I'm not a man or that I'm not man enough? I mean, all these different questions can come into our minds when we have too narrow of a view of what it means to be a man or woman. So we see that in the secular culture, but I, I think it's fair to say we can sometimes see this even in the church from people who have good intentions and maybe they've been formed in some theology, but they might oversimplify certain things that you can find, for instance, in John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So if someone were to say something like, well, what it means to be a man is that you give, and what it means to be a woman, you receive. It's like, well, there, there's something to that word give that relates to man. There's something about that word receive that relates to woman. But you have to also make space for the fact that there's a way in which men receive, and there's a way in which women give. It's not like it's solely one or the other. And so we, we just kind of put those two extremes out there to say when we're talking about what it means to be a man or a woman, we don't want to have too narrow of a view of what it looks like. We also don't want to have too loose of a view. And so what we hope to present in this episode and in the next episode is trying to get at, trying to explore what it is that the church proposes as this third way, this middle way. And hopefully we're able to um, put that on display as best as we can. So does that make sense, Jason? Would you push back on anything or would you expand on anything that I just said? No, I think that's right on, uh, especially when we're talking about masculinity and wanting to uh, try to find, you know, the virtue of masculinity. And Aquinas describes virtue as the means between the extremes. So we're seeing these two extremes. We want to find the means between them. I think that's a good goal. And yeah, really nothing, nothing else to push back on. Yeah, I think that's a helpful clarification, good framework. So so now I think we can get into the meat of the topic. And I, I keep using that image meat. I think it's because we're men and we like <laughs> bacon, right, and burgers. And I think the easiest approach to get into this topic is actually by going into testimony. So as you know, on this podcast, we, have, we try to have a mix of both catechesis and also testimony. And so we thought after all that we've just said in, from a catechesis realm, uh, we could continue to expand on those teachings by sharing from our own lives um, how it is that we've seen this play out. So 
Jason, I'll start with you, and then I'll, I'll kind of share some of my own experiences. As you've journeyed on you know, what we might call this, this masculine journey, like learning what does it mean uh, to be a man, and as you've uh, grown into being a husband and now as a father, if you could kind of, I don't know, peel back the veil a little bit and show how it is that you've come to be formed as a man, how it is that you've come to embrace your masculinity and the gift of what it means to be a man, and maybe in particular, like how looking at St. Joseph or Jesus, what it is that they've taught you about what it does and what it doesn't mean to be a man. So if you could just kind of talk about what that has looked like in your own life, I think that'd be helpful for both our male listeners and also our our female listeners who would want to listen in on what what that's like in the heart of a man. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So especially in talking about relating to the heart, the sacred heart of Jesus and the chaste heart of Joseph, in in relating to the heart of Jesus, uh, at the heart of it all, is Jesus's heart of the Son, interestingly enough. And you touched on this earlier in, in, again, talking about identity and how we receive our identity from God as beloved sons. And that identity is most fundamental to us, more fundamental than our job, which especially as as men, we, we like to do. And we're really defined, you know, that's the first thing you typically ask, you know, hi, I'm Jason Payne, and I'm a pipe insulator. That's what I do. That's my job. That's who I am is what I do. And there's a lot associated with who we are and who we are as men is what we do. But the church actually teaches something else. It teaches that being proceeds doing, that it's it's really who we are from our identity and who we are, especially based on our baptism. And that's our identity is in our baptism is that we are beloved sons of God. So kind of learning that in seminary, wrestling with that in seminary, and then going out, getting married, having our three kids, and drawing upon that identity as I'm becoming a father has really helped me in my life because it's it's from the understanding of being a beloved son and receiving that love that we grow into being able to give that love as a father. We're all called to some kind of fatherhood, whether it be a spiritual fatherhood, whether it be a, a physical fatherhood, whether it be just a fatherhood of giving. So there's just kind of an importance of first receiving that identity of beloved son. I think that's that's crucial to kind of the heart of Jesus and receiving uh, his mercy and understanding how he receives the love of the Father, how he, you know, goes into silence and, and gains, you know, that communication with the Father, gains that love uh, and is in perfect union with the Father in receiving that love. And then, of course, the heart of St. Joseph, you know, we see, especially towards him and his example, the heart of a protector, the heart of a provider, which in a very real sense can just bring bring dignity to um, a lot of work that might seem drudgerous at times, but remembering that no, in working to provide for my family, because I'm working and I'm taking classes as well, which both at times can just seem just dull and really just forcing myself to get through it. But it helps to just constantly remember that, no, I'm doing this to provide for my family. I'm doing this to help better the position of my family. And reminded that that's, you know, most of the work that St. Joseph probably did in his carpentry was just, yep, day in and day out, that just kind of getting in the grind. And another thing, um, is I'm currently doing the consecration to St. Joseph, and in um, the reflection on Joseph Most Courageous, it was uh, a reflection on courage. This is something, it's a, it's a reflection I had never really quite heard of, and it really spoke to me, in that the, the root of the word courage is core, which is 
heart in that the the root of the virtue of courage, while yes, it's both, you know, the mean between not being rash, but then not acting out of fearfulness, kind of the root of the virtue is that you love the good so much that you do what is benefit of the good or what is the good despite the fear of the suffering. So it's out of that love of the good that you do the good despite that fear. So Thanks. And uh, I have a a comment and a question based on what you shared there. I think the comments, you were you were going back several times on this idea of receiving our identity. And as I was reflecting on that as you were speaking about it, I think first of all, in our baptisms, like we don't baptize ourselves, right? Right. We are baptized. So even in that act of becoming an adopted son of God in baptism, again, that's something that has to be received. The other thing I would add to that is as we I think embark on this this masculine journey, you know, our childhood years, our teenage years, getting into like our early 20s and still trying to figure out like like what does it mean to really be like the man that I'm called to be? Like I I think there's a fundamental component to masculinity where we need our masculine identity to be received from another man. I think mm. it's really important when you have a man that you look up to that you look to him and you, you see a virtuous man, you see like, that's the kind of man I want to be. Like there's something about when that man affirms you or he sees something good in you that and draws it out of you. Uh, there's a way in which you can grow in your masculinity from receiving the affirmation of another man. So you see in a certain sense, you see that played out with Jesus and the father, the father saying to the son, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. Father saying that to, uh, to Jesus and the fact that we have our Heavenly Father doing that to us as well in baptism. But I, I think in particular, we need a concrete man in our lives whom we kind of look up to as a mentor, who we want to become that kind of man one day. If that man is able to affirm us and we're able to receive that affirmation, I think that works wonders for a young man. So that was like a comment I wanted to make on what you said. And if I could pry in with a question. When you were talking about in your seminary days, you, you mentioned the word wrestling, like this is something that you kind of wrestled with mm. in seminary. And then I think you mentioned something else about now that you are a husband, you are a father, just the different challenges that have come your way. Do you have something in mind when you're referring to that specific moments in your life where maybe your expectation wasn't the same as the reality that you were facing or how the challenges drew something out of you you didn't even know was there? I mean, could you shed light on something like that? Yeah, actually, um, it's some of the biggest challenges, I think for me, are just those points where I either feel like I should have done something different and now, like, either, you know, a child's crying because of it or, or something. Like, you, you can kind of see the result of your mistake playing out in front of you. And then, of course, there's the, the you know, 2 a.m. feedings and, and, you know, having to be up in here, you know, trying to comfort a crying child at... 2 a.m., then at 3 a.m., then at 4, <laughs> something along those lines. You can tend to get frustrated very easily, especially if there's not you're not calling upon that root of love and that root of, of mercy and this understanding of no, I'm not what I what I do. You know, it's 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 okay to make these mistakes. It's okay that to have this understanding that no, God's God's love is greater than that. God, you know, and in receiving that identity as beloved son, you can rest in the knowledge that like no, it's it'll be okay. It's, it's going to be, you know, taken care of. God will, will help you through this. Yeah. And further receiving his, his forgiveness, I think is an important part as well. Cause it, it, when you're not receiving that love, 
as you ought to. Those are the moments when you can become frustrated. Those are the moments when you're not forgiving yourself for these mistakes. And I think that's probably the root at what can be my frustrations is that I won't forgive myself for some of these mistakes. So going back to the sacrament of confession, receiving that often and help reminding myself of my beloved sonship can help me be that better father and giving that love for them in calming myself down from my frustration. No, forgive yourself. It's okay. God's forgiven you. You can forgive yourself. So you can kind of get over your own frustration and mm-hmm. take care of them, love them better in that. So. It's kind of like your, your kids are, are calling you out of this place of, because I mean, if, if you're tempted to just like draw inwards and right. say like, I'm a bum, I'm a loser, and you just start beating yourself up, it's like, it's, your kids seem to be the ones to pull you out of it, who snap right. you out. It was like, yep. Dad, sorry about that, but like we need our diapers changed. <laughs> so can you like get out of that? But right. I, I really yeah. think that that's that's like the beauty of you know of of marriage of of having kids is that they can help draw you out in those moments where you want to you know kind of self loathe of oh gosh like I'm such a bum or whatever. Like the, the way in which they can they can challenge that and get you out of your head in those moments yeah. is is what I'm hearing. And I, I think another thing too that I thought of as you were talking about that is, again, you're talking about how a lot of times as men, we can base our identity on what we do. And I think what you just articulated there was the way in which the enemy can then um, propose different lies to us that get at that false identity. So if I, if I am fundamentally what I do, and that's what matters most is my accomplishments, well, then he's always going to be getting at me with like, well, you, you could have done more. Or the, the big fear that I think a lot of men have in, in various areas and at different times in their life is like the fear of, I don't know if I have what it takes, mm-hmm. right? And that, that can be a paralyzing fear before you take the next step, whether it's with discernment or with a, a big career change, whatever the case may be. It's this deep fear of, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do what I'm supposed to do or what I'm called to do? And again, if you have the foundation of your identity on like, I am what I do, then you're going to always be grasping. You're going to be trying to compensate. You're going to be trying to say, like, I can do it, and I can do it on my own. It can lead to the self-reliance. All those things that you were describing there, I, I think, really well. So what the opposite of that would be is, again, receiving that identity, really affirming that who I am is something that's received, uh, being before doing as you're getting at. Because when we get those mixed up, I think that can be the cause of a lot of headaches, a lot of anxieties, a lot of fears, a lot of uh, not taking the next step that I know I should be taking as a man. So I'm glad that you were able to draw that out for us. Yeah. So I have uh, a couple things that I could share, I guess, from my own life, and then we can start to wrap this up. So I, I know I, I posed it as, you know, looking to Jesus and St. Joseph for what it means to be a man, but I'm going to cheat a little bit because I made up the rules for this episode anyways. <laughs> and I'm going to actually talk about a fictional character who, in my opinion, seems to have formed my heart in its masculine way more than, well, okay, that's, that's, that's tricky grounds. You don't want to say more than Jesus or Joseph. So this, this is a tricky way to articulate it. But basically, I'm very inspired by a fictional character who I believe offers a glimpse into the hearts of Jesus and St. Joseph. So what we see in this character is just a glimpse into the even greater hearts of the men, Jesus and St. Joseph. So 
This mysterious man I am referring to is Jack Pearson from the TV show This Is Us. Yep. I, I heard this detail before. I wasn't able to verify it, and we don't have our fact checker here today to verify it. And <sighs> I don't know what we're paying him for. Um, he's never here when we need him the most. Anyways, uh, something that I've heard about this show is that the writers for these episodes either came together towards the beginning or like every episode they get together and when they're trying to craft Jack's character and the lines that he ends up giving on the show, somebody said that everybody gets together and they brainstorm what would be the most ideal dad and husband. Mm. So everyone gets around this table and talks about like, well, when my dad did this, it was incredible. Or like when my husband does this, like it's just we're on top of the world. So they, they get all of these ideas and they, they form this like perfect man, what it is to be a dad, what it is to be a husband from these people sharing their stories. And so that's what you see on the screen. So no wonder when you're watching this man, you're just like so inspired or you're like, I wish I could have a dad like that. I wish, you know, ladies saying, I wish I could have a husband like that, you know, um, because you really see when his heart's on full display, you see a man who loves his bride. He loves his kid with like this, this passionate self-sacrificial love that you rarely see nowadays in a lot of TV shows or movies. The man mm. is always portrayed as like this klutzy guy who's always getting into trouble. The Homer and, Simpson stereotype. Yeah, Homer Simpson or just, yeah, any any of these like kind of slapstick comedy kind of guys, not very bright, you know. But I see in Jack Pearson, again, the, the redeeming quality of what it means uh, to be a man. I see that in full display. And actually, I, I was watching that show with a few of my buddies and the, the passage from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians would come to mind whenever I would watch an episode where uh, St. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself over for her. Because, again, when I see that self-sacrificial love in Jack, I specifically remember at the end of one episode, we turned off the episode, and at seminary we have our house chores that we have to do every week. And I went straight from that room to the bathroom, and I cleaned those toilets until they were immaculate. And I was putting so much elbow grease into what it is that I was doing for love of my brothers in that hall, you know, because there was something I saw in Jack that made me want to have that same passion of self-sacrificial love in, in being able to provide for my brothers in this, uh, this laborious way. You were talking about labor earlier, just like the daily right. grind of work. Like this was a way in which I could say, I'm doing this for the sake of someone else. So that's my little shtick about uh, Jack Pearson. And then I guess if I would say one other thing in addition to that, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about this idea that, again, men and women complement each other. We're not uh, made to be self-sufficient. There's a way in which we were made to be in communion. And so we don't become men in a vacuum. We need other men to teach us what it means to be men, but we also need other women in our lives to help form us in what it means to be a man and to, to call out what is good in us. I think women can have that unique ability sometimes of, of drawing out what is best in us, what, it, what what is best about what it means to be a man. There's a way in which uh, a woman can draw that out of us. And I get a sense of that every time that I pray using my imagination that I'm in the person of St. Joseph in some of the different mm. um, stories from Scripture. So, for instance, one I've gotten to often is the story of the Nativity and, and Joseph leading Mary and the, you know, at, at the time, unborn Jesus into uh, Bethlehem, 
and just how it, he would have been so frazzled, I guess as I picture myself as Joseph, how I would have been so frazzled with there's no room in the inn, and I would feel so incompetent. Like Mary gave me one job to have a place where she can give birth, and like mm-hmm. I can't even do that. And so in my prayer, in my imagination one day, praying with that scene, just like you were talking about earlier, I was beating myself up and saying like, you, you had one job and, you know, how are you going to provide for this family? And I even thought, like, why did you have to be born in Bethlehem? You know, this is all your fault that you had to drag your family down this way. And I had I just imagined Mary just looking at me and very peacefully just saying, Joseph, and just like snapping me out of it. Just with her just with her look of love saying, like, we're not going there. Like, we're not we're not going to beat ourselves up. Just just stay with me. Let's focus. Let's go. And I, I think, you know, there's a beautiful way that. Uh, a woman can do that for a man. And another example with that scene was, uh, so I, I imagined again in prayer that Jesus has been born. And so I got to be the provider, right? I got to be the protector while Mary is, you know, nurturing her son. And so I got to make sure everything's okay. So I'm going around this cave and making sure it all is, is sanitary mm-hmm. and, and all these things are getting all set up. And Mary's just like, Joseph, just be with me for a moment. Just, just slow down, just, just be with me. And so again, Mary, that, that feminine presence helps me to slow down and just to be in the present moment and to, to cherish um, what it is that's taking place here, this great miracle of the birth of Jesus and uh, drawing me into the, the important little details that I can often skim over if I'm just picture, or if I'm just focused on accomplishing the big picture tasks. So those are just two ways that I've seen how, you know, men have helped shape my hearts over the years. But even there's a way in which women, both in real life and then like in my prayer life, as I imagine how it is that Mary relates to me, um, the way in which women have formed my heart to be uh, the masculine heart that it is. So those are just a couple experiences I've had along the way. Yeah. You mentioned the image of Mary, just, you know, Joseph, you know, we're not going there to that my wife is, has looked at me with probably the same look and probably said similar to, stop it, stop it. You're not going, you know, it sees me getting frustrated. With them to, hey, yes. stop it. Stop doing that. I'm like, yep. oh my gosh. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think she'll appreciate that analogy. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I, I was hoping you'd have something to say as, <laughs> as a married man about what that looks like, you know, and, and the healthy way in which uh, men and women can both both call each other out and both draw us out of sometimes our, our self-introspecting or yeah. just beating ourselves up. There's a way in which the man or the woman can draw the other out of that and into yeah. who it is they're yeah. called to be. So. And she really does. I'm, I'm just super blessed to have her with me on this journey and to have her as my wife. So It's beautiful. Awesome. Well, folks, I think that's, uh, that's it as far as um, what we had planned to share. If this is a topic that's dear to your heart, by the way, if, if you're a man that's maybe listening and you want to hear more about um, some of these different resources that we've talked about or d- different documents or, or podcasts that have helped us out. I know I have, I have a few suggestions. Jason has a few suggestions. I know one thing that was really beneficial for me, I read this a few years ago, and I think it was really helpful in making sense of just the journey that a man takes from the time he's a boy all the way up until you know his old years and the way in which he's able to um, give of himself as a man in a unique way at that time uh, was this book called Fathered by God by a man named John Eldridge. So I'd highly recommend that book. Um, there's also a podcast I listen to pretty regularly called The Way of the Heart. So there are two Catholic therapists talking about what they've learned 
both in a professional and personal setting about just the, the journey of the masculine heart. And then finally, there's a document out there called Into the Breach by Bishop mm. Olmsted of Phoenix. And I think there's like a video series that uh, went along with that. I, I think any of those resources would be helpful if, if you want to learn more about I'm a man and I want to continue to embrace the gift of what it means to be a man and uh, continue to explore this, this journey of masculinity. Those are some I would offer. Jason, do you have any other things you'd recommend? Uh, yeah. One is uh, The Catholic Gentleman by Frank Guzman. And he just kind of outlines just a lot of different points that you can see, kind of more external points that you can see uh, in being a virtuous Catholic modern man, uh, or postmodern man at this point, I think. And so there's that, and then there's Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen, which really delves much deeper into this identity of beloved son and how that transforms into the, the giving of the Father type thing. So, Yeah, I think that's a must-read. I read that my first year of seminary, and it was it was a pretty it was, it's one of those books that was life changing. I think mm. we all have a few of those books or or movies if you're not a book reader that have really made an impact on you. And I think that was one of those books for me. And um, so I, just to just to reiterate that suggestion. So um, so yeah, those are some resources. But above all, as well, you can also look to uh, the hearts of Jesus and Saint Joseph in prayer. Maybe especially as we start heading into the Advent season, there's a lot of passages where we see. Uh, Joseph's heart on full display. We're still in the year of St. Joseph, uh, so we'd really encourage you to take that time in your personal relationship with the Lord and in the communion of saints to talk about these different things with God, with the saints, and in that prayerful encounter, uh, allow the Lord and the saints to help form your hearts. So with that, we're going to transition into our one joys. So Jason, this is the part of the show where we just kind of look back on past week or so and just give thanks to God for something that gave us some joy recently. So as you look back on this past week, any one joy sticking out to you? Um, the biggest thing is just that the time I've been able to spend with my family uh, and with my extended family, with my parents and uh, Kate's family and her parents. It's just a beautiful, joyful time with them, interacting with them and seeing how my own immediate family interacts with them just joyfully seeing the love between everyone is just truly a blessing so yeah definitely have to say you know the cliche my family <laughs> right well i'm actually gonna but, yeah. steal your one joy because my one joy is your family as well <laughs> <laughs> you've uh, you've had us over to the house a few times recently and i just love being able to come to your guys's apartment and you've got the little squeakers running around <laughs> or uh, having us over for meal for for game night i just really appreciate you guys welcoming me into your home and just the, the beautiful friendship that we've been able to maintain. So that was definitely a source of joy for me this week. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thanks again, Jason, for uh, joining us for this interview. And like I said earlier, next week, tune in with uh, Emma and Mary Kate. They're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, the journey of the heart of a woman, what it means to embrace the gift of femininity. So you won't want to miss that. So until next time, uh, we hope that you continue to look to Jesus as the cause for your joy. And we wish you blessings on the week. Peace.